Hi loves, welcome back to Raw Vegan Lens. I'm your host, Sherry Michelle. Let's go. So I looked up what the laws are for reading other people's work publicly. And this is what I found. Reading a copyrighted book in its entirety on a platform, especially when revenue is involved, may lead to copyright infringement claims. It's generally not permitted unless you have obtained explicit permission from the copyright holder. This is from November 2nd, 2023, so very recent. The two things that stand out to me here are in its entirety, I won't be reading the recipes in this or the photo captions, and revenue. I don't make anything off of this podcast. In fact, it costs me money every month to make this podcast. And that's because there are no commercials. And I also don't talk about things I have coming up because I don't like to listen to those things when I listen to a podcast. So I bet you don't either. (laughs) It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) Silly, probably naive, of course. (laughs) But this is not about making money. This is about finding like-minded people. And becoming raw for life, right? All right. I'm still set on that goal. So I'm going to read to you from, this is interesting, by the way, this is in its entirety. I mean, not in its entirety. The body of this book is 68 pages. The body of The Grape Cure was 58 pages. Very quick read highly entertaining. It's called Raw Family. I think this was the first raw book that I ever read, and it just really blew my mind. Um, This is by Victoria, Igor, Sergei, and Valia Botenko, and it's called Raw Family, A True Story of Awakening. My voice is, I'm not used to reading uh, out loud so much, (laughs) definitely not as much as I have in the last three days. So we'll go as far as we can today and see how it holds up. Fable. I was riding in a comfortable bus with many friends. Outside, the weather was stormy with pouring rain, lightning, and wind were bending trees to the ground. In the bus was pleasant music, laughter, good company, and relaxing seats. The aroma of mounds of shrimp was everywhere, and we were ready to eat. While looking through the window, I suddenly saw a sign very clearly. It said, no gas services, next 500 miles. Automatically, I looked over over the driver's shoulder and noticed that the gas gauge was close to the red mark. I told him about the sign and he retorted, it couldn't be. You must have been mistaken. I think there will be one soon. As it was, the driver was not pleased with my interrupting the joke he was telling. I remember very clearly what I saw and thought that surely someone else in the bus must have seen it. I went through the bus and asked many my asked my friends. Nobody saw the sign, and what was more surprising, nobody cared. I began to realize that we'd have to walk back many miles as the bus was quickly taking us farther and farther toward the point of no return. I knew it was important to turn our bus back, but my friends began to feel irritated. I grabbed my backpack and asked the driver to let me out. Some of my friends started to tell me, hey, you'll get all wet and cold. Wait for the shrimp first. Don't leave us. Don't you like our company? Ignoring them, I jumped off the bus at the first opportunity. But it wasn't long before I was very cold and scared. For a while, I doubted my own wisdom. How nice it was in a warm bus. I started to walk faster to get warmer. Walking in wet shoes soon gave me bad blisters. There were more buses filled with people and music following the route my bus had taken. 
I couldn't believe that I was the only one who saw the sign. It took me two hours to reach the sign. I read it again. I was glad that it was real, and I felt sorry for my friends, but I had done my best to let them know. I continued walking. I fell into some kind of numbness or meditation and didn't notice how it started to light up in the eastern sky. Suddenly, I saw a barefoot man standing on the road, smiling. He asked, did you get off the bus? Me too. I'm so glad to see you. I've been walking alone for 14 days already. You were the first one I've seen since then. I was surprised that he didn't look tired or depressed. In fact, he looked happy and refreshed. I told him about my blisters and how I was tired and hungry. Instead of sympathy, the man began to tell me his story. He said that he had begun to really enjoy walking. He said, everybody would have to get off the bus. Going down. Victoria. We came to the United States from Russia in 1989 when I was invited by the Community College of Denver to teach students about Russian President Gorbachev and Perestroika. At first, the cultural shock was great. I remember we felt inspired and hopeless at the same time. When I saw signs on the street benches that read, rent a bench, I wrote to my mother, life is very expensive here. Even to sleep on a bench, people have to pay rent. On her arrival from Russia, I was not very fat. I was 180 pounds, a normal Russian woman. When I visited my first, my very first American supermarket and saw all those multicolored boxes, I told my husband that I wanted to try them all. And I think I did. In two short years, I gained 100 pounds. From that day in the first supermarket, I noticed that many foods in the boxes were not as tasty as I had expected. While still in Russia, I saw Dunkin' Donuts in so many movies that I was anxious to try them. When I tried one, I could not understand why in the world anyone would like Dunkin' Donuts. I had to try them three times to become completely addicted. Then I began to wonder why I didn't like them before. Then things got even worse. We had opened six very successful businesses, become rich, bought a big house, and slept on a huge, fancy, very soft bed. We went out every night to every fancy or exotic restaurant in Denver and the suburbs. From that kind of full life, I'd rather say fool life, I developed serious health problems. My left arm numbed every night. My veins were popping out. I developed persistent arrhythmia, which is an unsteady heartbeat. At the same time, my father in Russia had his second heart attack. When I talked with him on the phone, he described his symptoms. They matched mine so closely that from that moment, I never knew if I would awaken the next morning. My doctor told me that I had to lose weight. I signed up for a life membership at a health club, but never seemed to find time to go there again. I subscribed to Weight Watchers magazine and had wonderful fantasies while reading it. Then I went to the SlimFast workshop. Soon I signed up for another popular weight loss program. I got an itchy rash from eating their special food, but I didn't lose a single ounce. As a result of all these failures and wishful thinking, I began to fall into a deep depression. Soon, I was doubting the very reason for continuing to live. I considered my life finished, and any changes seemed impossible. I gave up. I was going down. Valia. I knew about my mother's terrible heart condition and my father's arthritis. I also knew that I had asthma, but I thought asthma was normal, just fine. Sergei. I remember the past. My mother was always so tired, she never took us places. Instead, she'd hire somebody to take us to a movie or to the park. My sister and I were bored and were constantly chewing something. 
I started to gain weight. All summer long, I would sit on our expensive Lazy Boy couch and think of a good activity with which to entertain myself. We had constant mood swings, especially me. And one moment, I'd crush some toys or old machinery with rocks or hammer. The next minute, I would be too tired and lazy to walk from the couch to the door to let my dog out. When I was about nine years old, I started noticing disturbing changes in my health. After I gorged myself one Halloween on a pillowcase full of candy, my mother found me unconscious on the bathroom floor. My mom rushed me to the doctor, who told us that I had incurable juvenile diabetes and that I would have to go on insulin immediately. He said I would have to give myself shots for the rest of my life, and there was nothing more he could do. My mom and I were shocked. Mother decided to go home and think about it. As we were leaving the doctor's office, rivers of tears poured from my mom's eyes. She cried all that night. And when I was leaving for school, she was still sitting in the kitchen with tears in her eyes. Valia. One day I came home from school and found my mom in tears. I learned that Sergei had juvenile diabetes. What's that, I asked. She told me it was an incurable disease, which would cause him to lose his eyesight and kidneys. Later, he wouldn't be able to use his legs, and he'd possibly die in a coma. He would have to give himself shots daily. After this conversation, I had thoughts that Sergei might die. My brother die. Victoria. When I learned about Sergei's diabetes, it awoke in me my mother's instinct, which would appear, which appeared to be stronger than my depression and disease. It saved his life and mine too. When I heard the diagnosis juvenile diabetes, I was so shocked and horrified that I lost my appetite for a couple of days. I remember thinking, God, why is this happening to my son? That filled me with self-pity and increased my suffering. Deep inside, I felt very strongly that to put Sergei on insulin would be completely wrong. I decided to do some research. Since I had studied to be a medical nurse years ago in Russia, I decided to buy medical books. I read that blindness and kidney failure could occur as a result of using insulin, not from diabetes itself. Throughout all of these books, there were many statements that there is not even the slightest chance of cure for this type of diabetes. For example, the American Diabetes Association Complete Guide to Diabetes said, the only way to treat type one diabetes is to give the body another source of insulin. Usually this is done through injections of insulin. However, new experimental approaches also show some promise. Patients with type one diabetes have experienced miraculous results from pancreas transplants. Reading these medical books only strengthened my decision not to put Sergei on insulin. We bought him a blood monitor and he began checking his blood sugar several times a day. I just want to stop for a second here and let you know that there is a fantastic documentary by Gabriel Cousins for free on YouTube. Uh, Let's see. It's called, I believe... Healing Diabetes in 30 Days. Let me just quick look it up so that we get this right. Because um, I've watched it many times. I watch it a couple times a year. And it's also highly entertaining. I had a friend of mine who was uh, um, doing his medical internship. And this wasn't his thing at all. But... He thought that it was highly entertaining, just the story itself um, 
where they take six or eight people with diabetes. Some had uh, type one, some had type two to Gabriel Cousins um, um, Center in Patagonia, Arizona. And they just document their journey. It's called Simply Raw. Sorry for the interruption of the story. I know it's getting really good. Okay, so it is free on YouTube still. Simply Raw, Reversing Diabetes in 30 Days. Okay, pretty good memory. Should have been better for having watched it so many times. But I love, love, love that documentary. It's my favorite Raw documentary. And it's very inspiring. And everyone comes out of that whole experiment healthier than when they went into it. And most of them are off their medications. And we're talking about some pretty severe cases. Um, there is one guy that goes home uh, because he just can't deal with it. He's an older gentleman, um, but just a fantastic um, person also just to uh, listen to. All right, I took Sergey off white sugar and white flour. However, this didn't make any difference in his blood tests. I didn't know what to do next. In the bookstore, there was a sea of information, all of which was contradictory. I didn't have much time. The doctor threatened to report me to social services because I wouldn't put Sergey on insulin. I decided that I needed only the information that worked. I wanted to know how people become healthy. That's when I started to notice how different people look. I saw that some people look much healthier than others. One day I overcame my embarrassment and began asking healthy looking people what they knew about alternative treatments for diabetes. Then one day at my bank, I got in line behind a radiant and happy woman. I asked her my question and she smiled. Of course, the body can heal everything. I healed my colon cancer 15 years ago. I invited her to lunch. Elizabeth smiled again. I cannot eat your lunch, but we can talk. What Elizabeth said was shocking. What do you mean everything raw? Did she say that? She didn't. At the same time, I had a very confident feeling inside myself. Elizabeth answered all my questions and gave me an old book about raw food. No matter how scary everything sounded, it made sense. My heart told me it was right. Elizabeth, wherever you are, little shy lady, thank you. To be raw or not to be raw? Victoria. I went to the bookstore and found books on raw foods. I enjoyed reading them. These books had more in them, more than just health information. The authors seemed to be free and happy people. I wanted to be free and happy too. Sergey. Mom was reading day and night, surviving on only a few hours sleep each night. I remember noticing a growing smile on her face during those days. Victoria. In the morning, while holding on tight to my heavy cup of strong coffee and digging